Welcome back into another edition of the BrownZone.com Zone Coverage Podcast. My name is Andy Bullbarch with AM 930 WEOL and 100.3 FM. Joined as always by Scott Petrack, Browns beat reporter with the Chronicle Telegram, the Medina Gazette, and of course, BrownZone.com. Scott, the offseason has been loaded to the gills with storylines and news. And there was some pretty big news that came down the pike uh, over the last couple of days here, getting into the introduction of the new general manager, Andrew Barry, and how that kind of aligns with the head coach, Kevin Stefanski. There was also some news in regards to Kareem Hunt and Odell Beckham Jr. So there's a laundry list of things to get into, as always. Let's begin, though, with the comments made by owner Jimmy Haslam regarding Odell Beckham Jr. and Kareem Hunt. Nothing too earth-shattering here, but certainly something worth considering. Where do you really feel like these guys stand with this ownership group? It's interesting, you know, and, and I'm not sure how fair it is to lump Kareem and Odell together. Uh, you know, we had the Kareem traffic stop where he had the marijuana in the backpack. He admitted that he would have failed the drug test to the police officer. Um, you know, and Odell had the arrest warrant for the butt flap and you know, after the LSU title game, but they feel a little different. But I think you compare them together just because they've been two big names in the offseason, two guys that have met with new coach Kevin Stefanski, new GM Andrew Barry, and you might want to say, do they have uncertain futures with the Browns? So we'll start with Hunt, and I thought Jimmy Haslam was pretty strong when asked about Kareem Hunt. He said his actions were unacceptable. He said he needs to do better. Having said that, he said, yes, we plan for him. We want him to be on this team. Now, he's a restricted free agent, so there's no guarantees, but the Browns have final say, right? They can do whatever tender they want, and then if someone offers them a contract, they can match. So the ball is really in the Browns' court. And Hasm said, yeah, we want him back, but he's got, I'm, I'm trying to remember the right phrase. It was, he's got to change his ways, right? He's got to do what's acceptable to us. And, you know, maybe it's only words, but. I took it as a warning to Kareem that he better get his act together. And it's interesting because a year ago they hadn't even signed Kareem Hunt, right? He was still a free agent. You didn't know what kind of suspension he was going to get from the league. And then about a week from now, a year ago, John Dorsey signed Hunt, and there was talk of a zero-tolerance policy. Well, that's obviously changed to some degree. And Kareem, by most accounts, was pretty good last year. Right, he had the one incident on West Six that, you know, he was kind of messing around with a friend, and the cops talked to him. Nothing came of that. He downplayed it, and then you have this, where you know I watched the all 46 minutes of the dash cam video, and maybe distressed is a is a good word to use for him. Certainly worried that this might end his NFL career or could really hurt his career if there's a drug charge. Right, if he gets, you know, really the drug charge is what he was worried about, and he was worried about it becoming public, and it did, and we still don't know if the NFL will react, but if Kareem's never been in the drug program before, this should not be a big deal. Um, but certainly didn't sound really confident during that, during that traffic stop, and, uh, and who knows why, right? Maybe he was just worried. Maybe it was because he had an altered state. You know, he said, um, it had been from the night before. The police officer said, you know, he had no reason to or didn't feel the need to check him in a sobriety test um, despite finding the marijuana, despite 
finding an open bottle of vodka in the backpack. He said he thought it was just from the night before. So my point is, if he wasn't in the best state of mind, I think you need to monitor him going forward. And I think the Haslam's know that and the Browns know that. And they don't want to give up on Kareem. He's done nothing that says you have to give up on him. Once you put aside that, right, if you're willing to live with the off-the-field stuff, the altercations that got him the suspension in the first place, which included kicking and shoving a woman, once you get past that, since he's been with the Browns, to me he hasn't done anything that said, oh, last straw, we have to cut him. But I do think he's on notice that there better not be another misstep. And that's how I took Jimmy Haslam talking about Kareem Hunt yesterday. But then Andrew Barry, Kevin Stefanski said, hey, we laid down our expectations. If he meets him, we want him back. And Odell, everybody wants back. And I thought Jimmy Haslam was way more supportive of Odell, and he probably should be. And he's under contract till 2023. You know, he's a really good player. Um, he's, for all the distractions that Odell sometimes brings upon himself and the drama, he told us once last year, hey, I've never been arrested. And he, might, he was getting set to break that with uh, arrest warrant in New Orleans, which was quickly rescinded. So he hasn't been arrested. And he's really not had any issues with the law. So that's why it's unfair to just lump him with Kareem. But Jimmy has said, yes, we expect him back. He didn't do all the right things last year. We didn't do all the right things concerning him last year. But I'm expecting, I'm looking forward to a big, big productive year. I think where it was the, the phrase or the quote or something similar to that. So I, I felt like Stefanski, Barry, and Haslam were all supportive of Odell. Odell has met with Barry and Stefanski since he had the groin surgery, the, the core muscle surgery. And it feels like they're willing to support Odell. Now the next question is, what kind of commitment does Odell give to the Browns in the offseason? And Kevin Stefanski mentioned that. He said, we're going to have to see. And it's all about, does he come to OTA? Does he come to the off-season program? How much time does he spend here? And I don't think any, any, anybody expects Odell to be here from April 6th on. Right? That's not who Odell is. Uh, Odell's got a lot of stuff to do in the off-season. And he's also coming off that surgery, you know, which is about a six-week, eight-week recovery. So if he had it in mid-January, he should be good to go once they get going again. Um, but if he just gives a partial commitment, I, to me that's enough. If he shows up on the first day of OTAs and maybe stays for a week and then maybe skips a week and then comes back, you know, as long as there's a sense of, yes, I, I, not only do I want to be here, but I'm willing to put in the work to get more comfortable with Baker Mayfield, to learn a new offensive system, which every, everybody on offense is going to have to learn with Kevin Stefanski's offense. I think there's a middle ground there between showing up one day and disappearing for six weeks and being there every day. I think the Browns and Odell should be able to find that middle ground. Sure seems that way. And I think we've also gotten far enough along in this process that clearly unless something new pops up, I think we've gotten far enough along to the point where at the Browns were going to do something disciplinary to either one of these guys, they probably would have done it already. Is that fair to assume? Yeah, and I don't know, with with Odell, I don't know if he did anything that they could discipline him for. You know, I, I think with Odell it was, all right, does he, will, does he want to come back? Is he willing to come back? And when he finally said that, 
real close to the end of the season. To me, that was step one. And then step two is, do the Browns, and now does the Browns' new regime, right? Paul Podesta, Andrew Barry, Kevin Stefanski, do they want him back? And are they comfortable with everything that Odell brings with him? And that's immense talent, and it's a good, a good amount of headache, right? And I, I get the sense that, from what they said yesterday, Jimmy has him, wants him back. Andrew Barry is good with him coming back, and so is Kevin Stefanski. Now, they all mentioned, hey, you have to fit in, right? And they said the same thing for Kareem. They want to establish a new culture. And Andrew Barry talked about, you know, accountability. And you have to be good inside the building and outside the building. And they want these guys to fit into that. But I have every sense that they're going to give Odell that chance. And there's no intention of trading him right now. Something kind of drastic would have to happen for them to say, all right, we're done with this guy. Just because he's too talented, he's on your roster. You have him under control, like I said, under contracts until 2023. You have a young quarterback you're trying to get the most of. The fancy's offense, it's really easy to put OBJ and Jarvis Landry into those Stephon Diggs, Adam Thielen slots from Minnesota. And Odell saw that and is encouraged by that. He said he had a good meeting. He came away from the meeting with Stefanski feeling good about the direction of the offense. So I think we've kind of passed the troubled waters period unless something new emerges. Well, Scott, now time to hit on that new regime. We've referred to it a couple of times already. And, you know, Browns fans, I think, have gotten to that point now where I don't want to say apathy has set in, but they've seen this show before. And they've seen it many, many times before under the current ownership umbrella. So when you take a look at what the Browns currently have set up, it's a first-time a first-time head coach, first-time general manager. And as far as Andrew Barry goes as the GM, I think a lot of people, fairly or unfairly, are going to tie him in with that 1-31 mark. Now, there's a, a lot of controversy as to how much say he actually had and some of the draft picks that were made under that regime, but where do you fall in all of that? How much blame do you think he deserves for that, and should he still be held to the fire for something like that? Sure. Um, before I answer that, I will say you're right. I, I think Browns fans, and you know, I believe I'm in, not from a fan standpoint, but just from a covering the team standpoint, you're in a wait-and-see Approach. You're taking a wait and see approach. And our columnist Jim Ingram wrote a good piece, and it's on Brownzone.com about you know because he, he was at the press conference yesterday as well. And it, the headline I wrote for it was "Been here, heard that." Right? Because we've we've all heard these, and the Browns have two or three of these press conferences every you know every off season, and you hear the same language, you hear the same messages, and it can get old. It especially gets old when none of the new regimes and none of the new approaches have success. So I understand that the fan base is standing back and waiting for something good to happen as opposed to throwing all their energy into being excited when, sure, the roster is something to be excited about, but you need more than that, right? You need good coaching. You need good front office. And that's a question mark with a first-time GM who's 32 and a first-time coach that's 37. Now, I thought the newsiest part of the Andrew Barry news conference yesterday was him talking about his role in 1-31. and And he did not get into a whole lot of specifics. He was asked, 
Well, what do you think about Corey Coleman, right? The number 15 pick in 2016. How much influence did you have there? What about bypassing Deshaun Watson? And he wouldn't go into those kinds of specifics, but he did say he had say in it, right? And he was part of the process. And we know that he was the top, quote-unquote, football guy under Sashi Brown. Now, he did not have final say. Sashi Brown had final say. And there were other voices being listened to. But from a scouting perspective, he was the top scout. And I don't think you can just discount his role in 1-31. and And I didn't feel like he tried to distance himself from 1-31. and You know, he knew, he said, yeah, I was here for it. I was involved in all those meetings, blah, blah, blah. Now, I think it is important that he didn't have final say, and now he does. And he said, hey, I'm looking forward to building my own track record. So I think you have to give him that chance. But the the theme that he wanted to get across, and so did Jimmy Haslam, and we can argue about if this is legitimate or not, but their point is this is an entirely different situation. And in 2016, the plan was to get rid of some veterans, to add as much cap space as possible, to add as many draft picks as possible, to get so much younger, and you just take a different approach. And maybe Corey Coleman at number 15, it's not the most important pick in the world because you're not trying to win for another two or three years. And now the urgency is there, right? They are trying to win now. They believe they have a roster that's a jumping-off point, not a tearing-down point. And Jimmy Haslam stresses, the Browns didn't have a quarterback back then. And now they believe they do in Baker Mayfield, and that makes shaping a roster so much easier. Now, that doesn't mean that they handled it right in 2016. And it still means, to me, the biggest question is, if you thought, if Andrew Barry thought Corey Coleman was the best player at number 15, what did he learn from that? Because, obviously, Corey Coleman was not the best player at number 15, right? He's, LeBron's caught him, whatever, two years later. He was not productive. He had a bad attitude. I mean, there's a whole lot wrong about that Corey Coleman pick. So even if you liked him then, and the Browns weren't the only team that liked him, but even if Andrew Barry liked him, so what have you learned that going forward you won't make the same mistake? At number 10 this year, you'll draft the correct offensive tackle, as opposed to the wrong one, because you're going to have options, right? And they had receiver options, and they took the wrong guy. So I think there's several of those picks. And, you know, Cody Kessler, Deshaun Kaiser, um, Sean Coleman. Like, these are all first, second, or third-round picks that didn't last, and some of those guys are out of the league or having no impact at all. In fact, all those guys are having no impact. So – I'm not ready to blame Andrew Barry for all those, but I think he needs to. The least you can hope for is that, yes, he likes some of those picks, but he's learned why they were bad picks. And maybe it was too much reliance on completion percentage for Cody Kessel, right? Because that was the big number everybody kept on. And as soon as you saw him live, you said, man, this guy can't play in this league. He doesn't have the arm. He doesn't have the athleticism. Like, there needs to be – a better system in place. And maybe there is because that was, you know, Paul D. Podesta was young too, and now they have more refined systems. But it's interesting because Andrew Barry is going to have to have some success before people let him get away from 1-31. and And one final point on this is, you know, there's Sashi lovers, Sashi Brown lovers, and Sashi Brown haters. And it was clear to me yesterday 
that Andrew Barry believes in Sashi Brown. And without naming his name, he said, I worked for it. You know, he's listing all the GMs he worked for and how some have won Super Bowls and some of one has been in the Hall of Fame, has gone into the Hall of Fame. And he said, one's a visionary who was years ahead of his time or maybe a few years ahead of his time. And I assume he's talking about Sashi Brown. And he talked about how Sashi Brown is great learning to deal with adversity. So I don't think Andrew Barry walks in saying, hey, that 1-31 was a complete disaster. I'm disregarding everything. I believe he thinks there were good things to take from that. Collaborative approach, diversity of thought, all those things. Now, that doesn't erase the pain of losing, and he was upfront about that. But I do think you're going to see some, uh, some similar patterns from then to now. The hope has to be, because the Browns have a better roster, courtesy of John Dorsey, are they able to use those processes and plans to go from where they are to a playoff team as opposed to you know going from bad to tear it down and never getting, you know, just blowing those picks. And that's the biggest problem with that 1-31 is the teardown was fine, but then the execution was not there, and I sure hope Andrew Barry figures some stuff out from then because if you draft like Sashi Brown drafted, the Browns are never going to get to where they need to go. The alignment is something that gets tossed around quite a bit, and rightfully so, because the alignment seems to change from one year to the next. But now you've got Paul DePodesta, and he's got what appears to be his guys in place with Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski. That's a fairly young core. You know, you're talking about a head coach and a general manager, both under the age of 40, and I don't know how big of a role that plays in all of this. But, you know, taking a look at the alignment, is there enough there for Browns fans to feel good about moving forward? Well, I think it's tough to just buy into a concept like a line. Um, I think it's easier to point to a John Dorsey resume and say, look what he did with Kansas City, right? And now we can say he started to build that Super Bowl roster, and he did. And there's plenty of players on that Kansas City Chiefs roster that John Dorsey acquired. I think that's a lot easier to look to. It's a lot more tangible to look to that than to say, well, these guys are going to be aligned. Having said that, we know what disalignment or misalignment, we know what that looks like. And it looks like at the end of the year, coach and GM feuding. And coach and GM bickering about players, and Jimmy has them feeling he needs to blow it all up because he hired the wrong guys and these guys can't work together. I don't think that'll be a problem because Paul DePodesta wanted Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski. Because Kevin Stefanski was good with the hiring of Andrew Barry. And Andrew Barry liked Kevin Stefanski last season when he interviewed him during the coaching search. So I do believe that's a good place to start. It doesn't guarantee anything, but it does remove some of the problems that have hindered the Browns throughout the Jimmy, Has- Jimmy and D. Haslam ownership period, right, where there's constant bickering and there's dysfunction. And my last thing on that is, and I'm, writing a, I'm hoping to finish a story about that today, is about the alignment, because there's a lot of talk. There's a lot of time spent on that yesterday from Kevin Stefanski, from Andrew Barry, from Jimmy Haslam. And I've been flipping through cable, right, and Moneyball has been on a lot. And I, I think it's a good movie. I think it's interesting. And I think it's also relevant given Paul DePodesta, right? He was the Jonah Hill character was based on Paul DePodesta. 
And now Party Pedest is right a big shot with the bronze. So I'm watching it the other day, and Billy Bean, the A's GM, the Oakland A's GM, is fighting with the manager, Art Howe. And Art Howe keeps playing Carlos Pena at first base, and Billy Bean wants to play Scott Hatterberg. And Art Howe says, hey, I make out the lineup. And this, is a, this goes on and on and on. And so finally, Billy Bean trades Carlos Pena, who's going to be rookie of the year, just so the manager must play his guy. And my point is, if you have alignment, that's not an issue. It doesn't take two months for that to resolve itself because you trust each other. Because when you make a draft pick, you all have say in it. When you make a roster cuts, you all have say in it. And I think that does remove much of the friction and much of the potential for, quote-unquote, disaster. And I, I just think that is applicable here, and you, don't, you shouldn't have to worry about that. Like, I can see Paul Podesta bringing that example up to the Haslam saying, this is the kind of stuff that happens. Yes, you can win in spite of that, because we all know the A's went on that winning streak and went to the playoffs, but we, we shouldn't have to overcome things, right? Let's try to remove as many hurdles as possible in alignment removes a big one out of the gate. Absolutely, and I think we've gotten to that point now where I think fans are kind of wondering what's next as Kevin Stefanski continues to build his staff, and, well, Andrew Barry is going to need some time to build his staff as well. You know, I think at the very end of our last show, the Browns made it official that it was Elliot Wolf and Alonzo Highsmith were both parting ways with the Browns, and now Andrew Barry is going to have to put his team together. So, Scott, we'll close with this. What are the next few steps here Browns fans should be looking for between now yeah. and the end of the NFL fiscal year? Sure. Well, I'll start with the coaching staff. We should have Joe Woods officially hired as defensive coordinator. We're taping this on Thursday. I think it gets done Friday. He finally showed up in the building, whether it was Wednesday afternoon, night, or this morning. I know he's in the building now. Um, was with the 49ers last year. The fancy worked with him in Minnesota. He's been a defensive coordinator before. And then you'll see the rest of the defensive staff come into focus because Woods is now in place. As far as the personnel side, I thought it was interesting, and I asked Andrew a couple of questions about this yesterday. He does not plan to hire replacements for Wolf. Highsmith or college, the director of college scouting, Steve Malin, he doesn't plan to replace those guys until after the draft. So he said, hey, there's plenty of qualified person, or personnel here right now. We have good people. There's a lot of talented scouts. But those are three high-level guys in a normal front office structure. And he's going without those guys for now. Now, he might bring in a consultant or two to help him with the draft. But I, I just thought, found that interesting. It feels like a lot on Andrew Barry's shoulders. Now, he said it wasn't, that there's a lot of, he's got a lot of talented people around him, but I, I found that curious. Now, maybe he just feels it's too late in the process and he needs to wait until after the draft because then the guys he wants to hire will come free. But I, I think that's interesting. So we'll have, you know, we'll have the coaching staff round out. We'll have franchise tags or not, they won't franchise anybody, but the tenders. You'll see a tender place on Kareem Hunt, I would believe, at some point in the next few weeks. And then we have the Combine. The Combine starts February 24th in Indianapolis. I'll be up there. And that's when we really get into, I, I think then you can try to pin down Andrew Barry on, okay, are you going to try to re-sign Joe Schilbert? What tender do you place on Kareem Hunt? What do you do with Richard Higgins or Demaryius Randall? Do you let them walk? 
who do you like at number 10, right? Is it tackle, tackle, tackle? I, I think Andrew will be in a better position to talk about those things then, and hopefully more forthcoming. If he didn't answer a lot of questions directly yesterday, there's a lot of broad answers, which you'd expect, and he's smart enough not to answer something he doesn't want to. But by then, I think things will be more in focus, and we'll have a better idea of how he plans to take this roster from where it is. And we've talked about this, Andy. I think it's a playoff-caliber roster. I thought it was. So how do you take it? How do you keep it there and take it one step further? Because it wasn't a complete roster, but I think it's relatively close. So how do you fill those holes? And we all know what those holes are, and we'll talk about those in advance of the combine. But that's what it happens. So for the next couple of weeks, they'll have draft meetings, and then you know the Browns' news will really kick back up about February 24th when we get to Indianapolis. And that moment is rapidly approaching. That will certainly be here before we know it. Scott, as always, a pleasure to sit down and do the podcast with you. We've got plenty to talk about in the coming weeks, my friend. Hey, always a, always a pleasure, Andy. Thanks, bud. Thank you, Scott. Again, that's Scott Petrak, Browns beat reporter with the Chronicle Telegram, the Medina Gazette, and, of course, brownzone.com. That's going to wrap things up on today's edition of the brownzone.com zone coverage podcast. For Scott Petrak, this is Andy Bullbarch saying thank you again for listening, and we'll talk to all of you again next week.